He's going to preach, get on his side, and uh, I know God's going to use him. Now, look, if he starts stepping all over your toes, I did not tell him anything that's going on in your life. Uh, we've not had time to discuss that, have we? No, we have not. So he's going to preach to us, and God's going to use him in a mighty way. Welcome, Brother Jones. Thank you, Pastor Kuhn. Appreciate y'all having me here, and especially Brother Brother Daryl for allowing me to minister today. I, I told Brother Kuhn, I was like, I just want to see you while I'm there. And boy, he showed me, reminded me of what hospitality, Southern hospitality is all about. The Kuhn family has been so good to us these, this weekend. And I live in Southern California now. I grew up in uh, Gad. Anybody know where Gadsden, Alabama is? About two hours east of here, two and a half hours, or west of here. And um, so I know a little bit about Southern hospitality. As he mentioned, he was our youth pastor in Gadsden uh, about 16, 16 years ago. I got stories. If you guys want them, we'll just just meet me after church. We'll we'll go through the list. But. Uh, but they were so good to us, even even then. As a trouble, I was a troubled teenager, and and the Coons kind of took us in. And Sister Coon would cook for us, and Brother Coon would let me beat him at Madden. And uh, <laughs> I got the microphone, so <laughs> uh, sometimes I would I would some get close to beating him. But um, but I I really have always loved the Coons. They've been so special to us. Whenever we are, usually when I'm flying home, my flight to Atlanta and I say hey brother Coon we got to have lunch together we got to see each other and this time we flew to Nashville so we didn't know how we were going to make it work but thankfully they uh they were able to to get us to come in this weekend and spend some time with y'all and so uh, I'm going to be reading from the book of Psalm chapter 8 and while you're turning there I just want to say I love this building how, how many love this the work that has been going on I can see the work that's been going on I know many of you are probably involved I can see Sister Coon's decorating powers all over the place. It's a beautiful sanctuary, and you ought to be, this is the week of Thanksgiving, you ought to be thankful that God has given you a place like this and a pastor like Brother Coon, because I know, right, I know that uh, he's a great pastor. I know all of you would agree with that, and he was my youth pastor, and I know he's a great leader and a great man of God, but not everybody has a pastor like Pastor Coon. That you, you ought to be thankful that uh, that uh, that you have such a wonderful uh, family to be your pastoral family. Psalm chapter eight. I'm going to read verse three and four, and this is David. He said, "When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man? What is man?" that thou art mindful of him. If I was in California, I would have to qualify that word man there and say this is not gender related. He's talking about mankind. What is humankind? What, who are we as humans that God is mindful of us? Who are we that the one who created the heavens and all the, he put the moon and the stars in their place? Who are we that God is mindful of us. The word obsess means to dominate or preoccupy the thoughts, feelings, or desires of a person. It means to think about something unceasingly or persistently. 
In other words, when, you, when you're obsessed about something, it becomes the only thing on your mind. And you don't need to raise your hand, but has anyone here ever been obsessed with something a time or two in your life? I know that my wife, if, if I gave her the microphone, she could list off several things that I have become obsessed with. And then I move on to the next thing after I spend a lot of money on it. Is that, is that my, am I only, only husband in here that does that? I'm into golfing and then I'm into kayaking and then I, and we just, and every, she says, everything that I get obsessed with is expensive. Why can't I get obsessed with something a little cheaper, right? But people get obsessed with things, right? It just becomes, it just preoccupies all of your thoughts. And there are sports fans that get obsessed with sports. I used to be one of them. You could, when I was 13 years old, you could ask me, any any fact about the Braves, and I could tell you. You could just you just name a player. It could be the backup, backup, uh, third baseman. And I tell you, oh, there's his batting average. That's his on base percentage. I could give you every stat about it because I was. That's all I thought about when I was 13 years old. But sports fans will get obsessed. There are people that get obsessed with hobbies. I am one of them. Don't worry, I'm not preaching against hobbies. I know it sounds like that, but I've, I'm going to make a point in just a minute. But take for example fishing. Anybody like to fish? I like to fish. And I grew up, as I said, in Alabama, and I, there wasn't a, a creek or a pond that I, didn't, that I didn't, you know, try to see if there was something in there to catch. I got shot at a few times jumping over fences to try to get to a pond and see if there's anything in it. But uh, I, I get obsessed with fishing at, at times in my life. And as an obsessed fisherman, you can't just buy any old fishing pole. There's a specific one for the pier, one for the boat, one for this kind of fish, one for that kind of fish, one for the lake. You got to have the right reels, the right lures, the right clothes, the right glasses, sunglasses, right? There's a such thing as fishing sunglasses. I don't know if you knew that or not. But an obsessed fisherman says, I can't just wear my old fish, my little sunglasses I got in the truck. It doesn't matter that I got 10 other pairs. I've got to have the ones that Bob was wearing on that fishing show that I'm watching whenever I'm not fishing, right? We get obsessed with things. And, and, and I'm sure you know someone that's been obsessed with money, power, or fame, sometimes separately, but most of the time these, these things come bundled together. Oftentimes somebody that gets obsessed with money, power, or fame will get obsessed with their job. They become a workaholic. Does anybody know anybody like that? Don't raise your hands. When I ask these questions... Don't re- somebody starts pointing over at somebody else in the audience. People get obsessed with their jobs. They, they're the first ones at work. They're the last ones to leave. They work through the week. They miss their kids growing up, right? You've seen people like this. We call them workaholics, and they will stop at nothing to make it to the next rung of the corporate ladder. There's these people called adrenaline junkies. We got any adrenaline junkies in this place? I'm not one of them. I, I'm telling you, I don't even ride roller coasters anymore. I'm t- as soon as I, you know, I, I'm a kind of like a, a computer engineer now. And so I got that engineering type mind and I get on a roller coaster now. And I'm the first thing I'm doing is when's the last time they checked the torque on those bolts right there? And is that that one looks a little bit rusty. And I start thinking about what is possible. And I'm thinking yeah, I'd be a lot safer if I just stand down here on the ground. So I'm not one of these. But there's people that get obsessed with extreme sports and dangerous activities to try to feel that that need for that rush of adrenaline and and they want they literally want to be scared to death they do and they and then you'll see them they'll get closer and closer to death narrowly escaping it and sometimes they don't because they they just they crave they are obsessed with that that adrenaline there's people that get obsessed with politics 
Don't get quiet now. <laughs> but there's people that you, you try to talk to them, and that's every single conversation gets steered towards politics. You know somebody. You work with somebody like this. I know you do. There are people that get obsessed with hunting, and they've got to catch the biggest game. And it doesn't matter how many trophies they got on the wall. They need a bigger one. And, and there's people that get obsessed with their physical appearance and their fitness. And I'm not one of those either, as you can tell. Some people talk about, well, so many years ago I did this. or so I talk in weight, right? I got out of the Marine Corps 50 pounds ago. Right, I graduated high school. Brother Coon remembers that I was 75 pounds ago. I graduated high school, and I was same height as I am now, but I was a little beanpole, 125 pounds. And uh, but there's people that get obsessed with their physical, and this is not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. I need I need to be a little bit more obsessed with it myself. But they week in and week out, they're trying new diets, new workout routines, new vitamins and supplements. They get obsessed with losing one more pound. Or adding one more pound to a barbell, right? And it's never a break. You say, hey, can you come join me at this this thing? No, 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 that's during my workout t- time. Like, well, can't you work out some other time? No, right there at that time I found that's my perfect metabolic rate. And all. They got a reason why. They just, that's the only thing that they can think about. I've invited people over to eat, and they're like, oh, sorry, I can't eat that because I'm, I'm in the middle of this diet. And I'm like, well, I mean, can't you just skip it for one meal? No, 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 I can't do it. They're, they get obsessed. One of the strongest obsessions on earth is the one of a drug addict for their next high. If you've ever been addicted to any substance, then you probably know what I'm talking about, how strong this obsession can be. As soon as an addict comes down from their high, they're ready to go right back up. And when the drugs run out, every dime will be spent to obtain more. And when their money runs out, the addict will do Whatever it takes to get more money or more I've got family members that have stolen from their own parents just to satisfy this obsession. One of the most common obsessions found in our pockets and our purses today is our smartphones. Right? How many of you if you left if you left home and you're like, man, I'll only be five minutes late for work if I, if I go back and get my phone. How many of you go back and get your phone? we got to have it today. 77% of Americans said in 2014 that they owned at least one smartphone, and 46% of those said they could not live without it. Now, some of you all in here look like, I don't know, you're all pretty young, but some of you look like you're old enough that you lived before smartphones, right? Grew, did you live without it? Did you make it? People said they cannot live without it. And how many times you go to the mall or you go anywhere nowadays, you go out to eat and you look over at any booth and everybody, instead of looking at each other and talking to each other, they're, they're just on their phones. And in today's society, people are connected to so many people around the world except for the people right in front of them because of this obsession with this technology. And within this technology is another obsession with social media. People get so obsessed with, I've got to see how many likes and comments and shares and, 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 and how many friend requests that I've got. And they get obsessed with, oh, oh, how many people liked this picture of my kids? And so-and-so didn't like this. I wonder what's wrong. Did I put the wrong dress on my daughter? And people just get obsessed with this virtual reality that they forget about actual reality. And as I've read off these common obsessions, I'm sure everyone here has heard at least one thing that you've been obsessed with or that you maybe uh, are obsessed with right now. And, and, and it's okay. You don't have to raise your hand. I said I'm preaching to myself on some of those. That's how I know so much about them. 
But uh, we can all relate to one of these in some form or fashion. And, and I'm not preaching against hunting or fishing or playing with your phone unless it's during church. But, but, but I am here to say, this is a, I just wanted to draw you a picture of the power of an obsession. Right. We understand how powerful it can become when your mind gets fixated on any one thing or any one person. If you were in uh, let's go back to the days when we were in high school and you had uh, they probably don't even have lockers now because they do everything on their iPads. But you had a locker for your book. Right. Had the little vents in there. Somebody slip a little note in there, a little secret admirer note. And what if it said on that note that I would I would do anything to be with you? Like, I don't even know who this person is. Anybody ever get a note like that? I never did. No one admired me. Right? But I heard about them. Maybe I wrote some to some other people. Right? But it, what if it said, I would cross an ocean to be with you? You'd probably say, man, this person is a little obsessed. Right? I mean, have you heard of a situation like that? Right? Well, I would cross a desert on my knees just to be with you. Wow. That person's a little obsessed. What if they said, I'm thinking about you every second of every day? Now, that's just a little bit weird. I don't even know who this is, but they're thinking about me every second of every day. What if they said that I loved you since before you were born? What if they said I loved you since before the world was ever formed? Would you call that person obsessed? Well, the Bible says, when I considered the heavens and the moon and the stars that you put into place, that you ordained, he says, what is man? Who am I that God is mindful of me? And that word mindful, if you don't understand what it means, it means that his, his mind is continually full of thoughts about you and you and you and me. What is man that God is mindful of me? While we're thinking about everything else going on in our lives, God is thinking about us right now at this very minute. And about 10 minutes from now, he's still thinking about you. No matter what situation you're in, what trial you're going through, I don't care if it's a good day or a bad day. Sometimes we think that God has forgotten about us. Let me remind you today that God's mind is full of thoughts about you. Now, I know that you know that God loves you. Probably been singing about it since you were knee-high to a grasshopper. I had to throw that in because I'm in the South. If I say stuff like that in San Diego, they're like, what does that even mean? Right? But we, we've been singing, yes, Jesus loves me. I can't sing. But you know the song. For the Bible tells me so. We know that God loves us. But I came today to tell you just how much God loves you. Because a lot of times when we think about the love of God, we compare it to how we love. Right? But my love has limitations. My love has conditions to it. My love is very, very limited. I'll say, you know what? I'll love you if you love me back. I'll love you if you'll stay there. I'll love you if you do this, 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 and this. And if you do this, my lo- I'm going to take that. But God's love is faithful. Here's some things that the Bible says that God said about us. 
He said, I breathed into your nostrils the breath of life, Genesis 2, 7. He said, I created you in my own image, in Genesis 1, 27. He said, my eyes saw your unformed substance, Psalm 139, 16. He said, I knit you together in your mother's womb. He said, I know the number of hairs on your head. And before a word is on your tongue, I already knew it. He said, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. He said, you are more valuable than many sparrows. He said, you're the apple of his eye. And then he said in Isaiah 54, 10, the mountains may move and the hills will disappear. But even then, My faithful love for you will remain. God's love is faithful. We were just singing about his never-ending, overwhelming, reckless love. And when she started singing that, I thought, my God, your love is so overwhelming. And when you begin to really ponder it, when you really begin to think about it, you have to ask the question that David asked, what is man? Who am I that God is mindful? I'm going to pull out three characteristics of God's love just to kind of just just to scratch the surface, just so you can open up your mind to how big his love really is. And the first one is that God's love is eternal. Ephesians chapter one, verse three through six says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, even as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Notice that it says he chose us before the foundation of the world. I told you that love letter that you got in your locker. It said, what if it said, I loved you before the world was even formed? That's how long God has loved you. He chose you before the world was ever formed. He didn't just start loving you when you got your act together. And I haven't even gotten mine together yet, so thankfully. He didn't just start loving you when you recognized that he existed. He didn't just start loving you when you decided to love him back. He loved you before the world was even formed. And he's been thinking about you. He's been mindful of you ever since. You say, how do you know what God is thinking about? Isaiah 55, verse 6 through 9. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way. Everybody say his way. And the unrighteous man, his thoughts. Everybody say his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord. That's repentance. And he will have mercy upon him. And to our God, he will abundantly pardon. And then this is what God says. We don't understand. You see, when we mess up or when somebody messes up to us, we think we need to have judgment on that person. Right? If somebody... If somebody does some terrible crime, you think, well, they need to pay for the crime, right? Do the crime, pay the time. But here's what God says. He says, he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. What God is saying here is this. 
whenever you are wicked and whenever you are unrighteous, he says, if you will just return to me, I will give you mercy. And when we say, I don't understand why you would do that, he says, because your thoughts are not my thoughts. When we're thinking about judgment, he's thinking about mercy. When we're thinking about how we need to pay for our sin, he's saying, you know what? I've already paid the price for you. Don't worry about it. I don't care how many times you've messed up. I don't care how much you think you don't deserve God's love. He's saying, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My thoughts are higher than that. I'm thinking of a long-term plan. John chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word, capital W-O-R-D, is a Greek word, logos. And it could be translated as a plan or an idea or a thought. In the beginning was a thought. And the thought wasn't somebody else. The thought was God. God didn't say, I'm going to come up with a plan when you mess up. It said, in the beginning, I've got a plan. I've got an idea. I've got a thought. In verse 2, he says, same, and the same was in the beginning with God. And then it says, all things were made by him. Who's him? Him is the word or the plan or the thought. And he said, and without him or the plan or the thought was not anything made. In other words, not one thing was made without this thought that God had in the beginning. And what was the thought? What was the plan? Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father. You see, in the beginning, God had this thought. And that thought was Jesus. Jesus was the plan from the beginning. He didn't say, oh, Brother Coon, you messed up. Let me come up with a plan. Oh, Brother Jones, you made a mistake. Let me go figure out if I got something that can fix. No, he said, before the world was ever formed, I've got this idea. Here's an idea. I'm going to create man. And before I make anything, I'm going to make it with that thought or that plan in my mind. It says not one thing was made that was made without that word. He had that thought in the beginning. He had that plan that Jesus was. And why did Jesus have to come? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That we should not perish. That plan didn't happen 2,000 years ago. Five minutes. That plan happened before the world was formed. In the beginning was the word. What is man? What is man that he is mindful of me? He was thinking about me before he said, let there be light. While darkness still covered the face of the deep, he was thinking about you and you and you. And while he hung on that cross, he was thinking about every single one of us and everyone that has ever lived and everyone that will ever live. What is man? What is man that God is mindful of us? His love story with us began before the world was ever formed. And the Bible said in Isaiah that his love, his faithful love will remain 
even after the mountains are gone and the hills disappear. God's love is eternal. It started before the world was formed, and it'll be here when the world is gone. Our love has limits. Our love starts one day. I met my wife 10 years ago, and I started love. I couldn't love her before I even knew her, right? And when I married her, we had vows. And in those vows, I said, till death do us part, right? Now, if she dies first, I'm probably going to keep loving her. But she always said that that, uh, I can't. Or she she said that she can't go first. Anyways, we got a deal going out. I don't know if we can handle or if we can actually control that, but whatever, right? But but it, we 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 said, you know what? Till death do us part. But God's love is going to remain even after death. He's got a mansion for us over in heaven. He's going to love us for eternity. The second thing I want to bring out is that God's love is limitless. The Bible says that God is no respecter of persons. He doesn't care what color our skin is, how old we are, where we come from, where we've been. He doesn't care who we are. We're a person. We're, and as long as we're a person, we're created in God's image. And He loves us no matter who we are. And I think I nailed down the fact that God loves you and that He's always loved you and that He will continue to love you. You, but I want you to just think about this for just a second. Not only is he thinking about you for every second of every day, and not only are you the apple of his eye, but there's more. I want you to just realize the magnitude of God's love. He loves you individually, but at the same time, he loves every single person that has ever existed. When it says that he is mindful of us, it's not just mindful of Brother Coon or Sister Coon or Brother Jones. He's mindful of all of us. He's thinking about every one of us. And I know that it's hard for us to put our minds on any one thing or any one person at one time. Right? At the end of the day, the, the, the obsessed fisherman is going to hang up his poles and think about something else for a minute. Right? But God is mindful of us all the time. The Bible says that he is omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. He is everywhere present all the time. It doesn't mean that he's just right here and he's over there and he's over there right now. He's in all of those places 10 seconds ago and 10 seconds from now. He's everywhere present every time, all throughout time. He's right beside you through every storm, through every trial. And he knows what you're going through right now. And he's thinking about you. He's mindful of you. But at the same time, he's also mindful of somebody on the other side of the world, in Europe or Africa or Australia. He's thinking about every six billion people on earth at the same time. Can you think about that for a second? I can't even walk and chew gum at the same time. But he's thinking about every single one of us. At the same time. And the reason why I want to bring this out is because it's very easy for us to be in the middle of a storm when darkness is in our life. And we it's very easy for us to say, God has forgotten about me. But he never forgets about you. The Bible says his faithful love will remain. His faithful love. Not only is he omnipresent, he's omniscient. He has all wisdom and all knowledge. He knows what you're going through. 
the, we read it earlier, before a word even comes on your tongue, he already knew what you were going to say. He knows the intent of your heart. He knows what you're going through. And so whenever you're just, you're in that place and those places in my life where I felt like I am alone, I am in darkness, I am in depression, and the enemy will speak voices into your mind at that time. And you've got to understand, if it's breeding fear and doubt, it's not from God because God wants to give us faith. God wants to give us hope. He is our hope that we look to. And and if it's if there's any kind of fear or doubt, you go ahead and tell that voice to shut up. That is the voice of a liar and the father of lies but God is mindful of you he knows what you're going through and he knows that if you'll just if you'll just hang on he's going to bring you out the other side and oh how much stronger will you be oh how much more will you know how that God loves you God has not forgotten about you I remember when I was 14 years old God gave me a dream and I didn't tell anyone about it. When I was 16 years old, I was sitting on the second row, Gazin, Alabama. Our pastor, Stan Davidson, was preaching. And mid-sentence, mid-stride, he just comes and he points at me and he begins to prophesy to me. And he said that God gave you a dream and you are trying to forget about it. You're trying to say it's just a dream. It wasn't from God. And he went on to say some other things that God is going to do in my life. But about 10 years later, when I was 26 and I had been running from God, I'd been running from that dream, and I walked into an apostolic church and I went up to the front and I thought, I've messed up too much. God's, this calling is, you know, I can still be a Christian, I can still follow God, but this calling is probably gone. And I, and I was conflicted because I kept feeling the, the tug of the calling, but in my mind I was saying, because remember his thoughts are above our thoughts, in my mind I was saying, I, I'm not going to be able to do, I'm not, God can't use me anymore, I'm broken. And when I was 16, Brother Davidson said to me, God's giving you a dream, and you've tried to forget it. And when I was 26, I was praying in the altar, and a man walked up to me, and he said, I have not forgotten the dream that I gave you. When I was 16, I was trying to forget the dream. And when I was 26, God said, just so you know, I still haven't forgotten it. 2,000 miles apart, men didn't even know each other. That guy didn't know me. We've been going back to church for about a month. I, he saw on the other side, I maybe shook his hand one time. Did not know that guy. And he said, I have not forgotten the dream that I gave you. What is man? That God is mindful of us. What is man? The third thing, his love is unconditional. Did God stop loving Moses when he killed that Egyptian? Did God stop loving Peter when he denied he knew him not once, but three times? Did God stop loving Paul when he hunted and killed Christians? The man who wrote the majority of the New Testament used to hunt and kill Christians. But God sent him a preacher. In John chapter 15, Jesus said, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. How can I do that? 
I just described to you how big God's love is. He is mindful of all of us at the same time. He's never forgotten, never forgets about us. How can I love you guys the way that God loves me? He died on a cross for me. How can I do that? My love is limited. My love is not eternal. My love has conditions to it. How can I love you the way that God loves me? In verse 13, he says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. So first he says, you need to love each other the way I love you. And then he says, but there's no greater love than my love. It's like, we got to strive to this thing that, that's impossible. Greater love hath no man than this that a man lay down his life for his friends. And then he says in verse 14, you are my friends. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known to you. And this is it, verse 16. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. And I ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit shall remain, that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. These things I command you. Once again, he says that you love one another. You see, even when we don't choose Jesus, he chose us. When we chose sin, he chose us. When we cried, crucified. He chose us. When we persecuted other believers while we were lost, He chose us. When we were doing everything in our power to get Him to leave us alone, because that's what I did. You see, I had a calling on my life that I didn't think that I was worthy of, that I didn't think that I could live up to. And I said, you know what, God? If you called me, then I'm going to be somebody other than me. I tried to be somebody I wasn't so that God would leave me alone. And I thought, God still, He chased me all around the world. I joined the Marine Corps, and I, I was out in the Pacific, the middle of the Pacific Ocean. No cell phone coverage, no nothing. And I was out in the middle of nowhere. And I thought, maybe God will leave me alone here. No, you can't run from God. You can't run from him. Jonah tried. He ended up going to the exact same place that God told him to go to in the beginning. And there's one way he could have done it on dry land, or he could do it getting chewed up and spit out. But one way or another, you're going to go where God tells you to go. And I believe that God has a calling and a purpose for every single one of us in this place today. And whenever you think that you're not worthy of it, you just got to understand you're worth the price that you were paid for. Jesus paid for you with his blood. And I thought, you know what, I've got I've to be somebody different so that God will leave me alone. I couldn't get away from that calling. Every day I felt him pulling at my heart saying, come back to me. And I, and I would say, well, maybe if I'll do this, God will leave me alone. And he's sitting there saying, open the door. And I said, what if I do this, God will leave me alone. And he's saying, open the door, let me back into your heart. What if I do this and I just got worse and worse and when God never left me alone? His love continued to pull me. I got deployed to Iraq and I was in the middle of Iraq and I would get woken up in the middle of the night by prayers from my grandmother 
and my mother and probably the coons and other people in my church that were wondering, when's he going to come back to church? He had such a calling and anointing. I was what is he doing? Why is he still running? And I was trying to get away from the love of God. But I've come here today to tell you, you cannot escape the love of God. I don't care how far you run or how hard you try to hide. His love will find you. He will chase you down. That's the kind of love that we were singing about earlier, that overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God that leaves the 99. He will find you no matter where you go. That's why you're in this place today, because his love drew you here. And I don't care what you may have thought. You just walked in here for no other reason than but it's Sunday. But you're, you're here because God loves you, and he wants you to be in his presence. When we chose other things, he chose us. What is man? What is man that God is mindful of us. Romans chapter 5, verse 6 through 8. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the righteous. That's not what it says. He didn't die for the righteous. It says he died for the ungodly. He died for sinners like me. In verse 7 it says, For scarcely for a righteous man Will one die? So if we put a righteous man up here, like Brother Coon, and somebody was going to kill your pastor, who would jump in front of that bullet? Don't raise your hands all at once. We would have second thoughts, right? For, that's what he's saying. For scarcely, somebody might die for a righteous man. They might do it because it's a righteous man. I might say, Brother Coon's life is worth more than mine. I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it. Secret Service guys protecting the president they've made that commitment right they're going to try and die for the president i feel like this person is worth more than me that's what they that's what they say that's what they're signing up for for scarcely for a righteous man will one die yet suppose for a good man some would even dare to die so now we're going to go take a step below not really righteous but you're he's a good old boy right it's a good man who would die for that person just a somebody you don't even know on the street some Joe just walking down the street. He's a, he, somebody said, he's a good guy. He's about to die. Will you jump in front of the bus for him? You, you'd at least have second thoughts. But then it goes on to say, but God commanded his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, I wasn't a righteous man. I wasn't a good man. I was a sinner when Christ died for me. And then, he, and then we just read in John chapter 15, greater love hath no man than this. And I'm going to be closing with this. God's love is eternal. He loved us since before the world was formed, and He's going to love us even when the earth disappears. God's love is without limits. Don't try to put limits on God's love like we have on our love. God has not forgotten about you in the middle of your storm or in the middle of your trial on your darkest day when you feel like God is nowhere near. He's sitting there thinking about you. His mind is full of thoughts about you. And finally, I would not be here if this last one wasn't true. God's love is unbelievable. 
conditional. It does not matter what you have done, where you have been. You don't even have to have a good last name. I'm, I'm a Jones, and I just found out that I also have Smiths in my family. I'm a Smith Jones. That's just a nobody. Most common name, most common European name, Smith and Jones. I'm a nobody from nowhere. They can tell you. They know where I came from. I'm a nobody from nowhere. But God is still mindful of me. God still loves me. And when I'm thinking about other things, which I have to do because I'm a person, I got to think about putting food on the table. I got to think about driving to work. While I'm thinking about all of those things, God is mindful of me. The greatest thing that God ever did with his love, and you can all stand. The greatest thing that he ever did with his love was give it to us. I don't mean that he showed us his love, which he did do. He, he showed his love to us. But I'm talking about he gave us his love. He copied and pasted it. He dragged and dropped it into us. He gave us his capacity to love. He told us to love one another the way that he loved us. How can I do that And if he doesn't put his love inside of me? 1 John chapter 4 says, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. He's made up of love. He's comprised of love. That's what God is. God is love. Verse 9, in that in this was manifested the love of God toward us. In other words, this is how he showed us his love. Because God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. So he says, here's how he showed us a picture of his love. That was the cross. He showed us his love. Verse 10, herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us, sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also love one another. How can, how can we do that? How do we do that, John? No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwells in us. And his love is perfected in us. We got to get his love in us. How do we do that? Verse 13. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us because he hath given of us his spirit. You want to have God's love inside of you? John says his spirit has to be inside of you. You can't love each other the way that God loves you unless God, who is love, is inside of you. That's the only way. That's the only way. The powerful love that God has can be inside of you. When you receive the baptism of His Spirit, He said God is love. In another place, it says God is a spirit. And they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. He said, you know what? I want you to love each other the way that I love you. And the only way to do that because we can't love like God loves. My love has limits. My love has conditions. My love is not eternal. It's got a start date and an end date. But if I put God's love inside of me, we can turn the world upside down when you start loving people the way that God loves you. 
You want to see this place packed out? Tear down some more walls in this place? Start loving people the way that I just described God's love to you. And this is what I want. This is how I feel led to, to, to end this service. I wonder if we could all just come up front. And I wonder if we could just, in the presence of God's love, just begin to worship Him together. And if you'll begin to lift your hands and come up to this place and begin to love God, think about it for just one second. He died on a cross for you. He showed us His love on the cross. But right now, He wants to give us His love. And in in His presence right here, if you just come close to the front, and you put up your hands like this brother's doing right here and just bask in the love of God for just a minute. And just put up your hand. And I want this is the thought that I want you to have on your mind. I want you to picture him on the cross. Because if you'll think about him on the cross, I promise you, he, when he was on the cross, he was thinking about this moment right now. And just for one minute, sometimes when I'm on a different place, besides my wife I, I'll call her and I'll look up at the moon I say you look at the moon I look at the moon it feels like we're a little closer if you'll just think about the cross for a minute Jesus when he was on the cross he was thinking about you as he took those stripes in his back he was thinking about you as he took those nails in his hand he was think. God was mindful of you when he said let there be light he was thinking about you he said i'm going to create this world for you and you and you so that you can have a place to find my love god's love is in this place today and he doesn't just want to show it to us he wants to give it to us and if you'll begin to worship him as sister coon sings i wonder if you would just think about him as much as he thinks about you for just a minute for just one minute give him the love that he's given you for every single minute since the world began let's worship him in this place